so I hope you had a wonderful Christmas day and Christmas Eve um, and certainly a wonderful week this past week. Now, how many of you have been resting this past week? Has it just been football and movies? Some of you? Okay, how many of you are already either back at work or you've already taken down the Christmas tree and you're just, you're still going, you're still going. So I find myself resting in between those two places that week after Christmas, you know, right before New Year's, is that I, I want to rest and I'm really good at that. Um, most of my presence this year involved um, uh, things to help me relax, which was wonderful. And so I did a lot of that over. Uh, this past week, but then I, I feel this tension to also get back to work, to get back to doing things, to be productive again, and I, I looked at my family yesterday like, okay, I think I have to go be a productive member of society again. I can't just sit on the couch this whole next week, but I find this tension between rest and productivity during this time, and what I realize is that it's actually part of the season. It's not meant to be in tension. It's actually a time for reflection because reflection takes both of those things. It takes us stopping and resting and having some moments to pause and to be silent. But it also takes us thinking. It also takes us doing a little bit, either journaling or writing. And so what I find is that reflection is where we are even in our Christmas story today. It's a time where we are still at Jesus' birth in the Gospel of Luke, but we are not at the manger. The Gospel of Luke does this wonderful thing with the continuation of the story of Jesus' birth that doesn't end at the nativity and the manger scene, but continues on into this beautiful scene where we find Jesus and Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, at the temple meeting two incredibly special people named Simeon and Anna. So we're going to read that part of the scripture today. It comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 22. And this is right after the shepherds leave, um, leave the manger scene. It says, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem, him being Jesus, to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of, tur a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people of Israel. 
So this last part in verse 29 is what is considered a blessing. Simeon is a prophet. He is a devout uh, person that follows his faith and he is led to the temple. And when he sees Jesus, he begins to give this blessing and he knows that his time has passed. He knows when he sees Jesus that his work is done and that the time has passed for him to move on. And so he gives the child this blessing. You are dismissing my servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all people a light of revelation that is both to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people of Israel. Now that may seem like a very short sentence or a very regular blessing that, oh, Simeon is happy and joyful about seeing Jesus and about what this could mean. But this last line, a light for revelation, because this was a revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon is naming naming there in very prophetic proclamation that this salvation, this deliverance that is coming through Jesus, even though they are sitting in a temple for Jewish people, will not just be for the people of Israel. It will be for all people. It will be for the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul says it a little bit later. Paul is the writer of the New Testament letters in the early church. He says, because of Jesus, there is no longer slave or free, male or female, Jew or Greek, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Even at Jesus' birth, as a baby, Simeon proclaims to us today that the light of revelation comes to each and every one of us. And then in uh, verse 33, he goes on and says, and the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now remember that second part of the blessing or maybe the warning, a sign that will be opposed. And then we meet up with Anna in verse 36. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Phanel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, living with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and praying night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. They had finished everything required by the law, Mary and Joseph, and they returned to Galilee to their own town, Nazareth. The child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So in the temple, for this very customary um, moment in Jesus's life, in his early life as a baby, it was customary to go to the temple to be circumcised, to give a sacrifice, and to receive a blessing. So Mary and Joseph, being very devout in their faith, go for him to receive this blessing. Luke's gospel points to this over and over again, that Jesus was not only Jewish, but that his parents were devout, that his parents continued to do what was customary, and they followed what was required by the law. 
Now that may seem very boring to you. That may seem like something like, oh, well, okay. Well, they're just going about the things that are customary, things they're supposed to do. But it's incredibly important to the story of Jesus that his parents, in the midst of having all of this that has happened to them, remember that an angel came to Mary, told her that she would be pregnant. Joseph was found in a dream and was told to stay with Mary, to marry her. They traveled to their hometown and to Bethlehem. They had a baby in a stable. They were visited by shepherds and wise men. All of these chaotic things are happening in their life. And they still chose to go back to the place where their faith said, this is where we meet God. This is where we thank God. This is where we find joy with God. This is where we give back to God. They give two turtle doves or two pigeons because that was what was customary because of their status, because of their class, because they were poor and had nothing else to give. This is what they sacrificed. And so during this moment is when they meet two important people, Simeon and Anna. And did you hear both of them are elderly? Both of them are people who have been pottered of the faith and are much later on in their years. We read about Simeon and that he would not die until he saw Jesus, when, until he saw the Messiah, the anointed one. And then what we read about Anna is that she was married to her husband for seven years. And then after that, when her husband died and she became a widow, she went and moved to the temple and was at the temple day and night, never remarried. And she was now of the age of 84. Now we can assume that Anna probably got married around the age of 15 or 16, which means that she lost her husband in her early 20s and she is now in her mid 80s, meaning she has spent over 60 years going day and night to the temple. I don't know about you, but when I read this part of the story of Mary and Joseph, when I read about Simeon and Anna, the word that comes to my mind is devotion. They have this devotion to their faith. Oftentimes when we read about, um, read about the people of Israel, when we read about the Jewish traditions, that is a word that comes to mind for us. Responsibility, they are devout, they are righteous. There is a sense of devotion within them. But I wonder today if it can be something as we turn the page into a new year that needs to be part of our life and part of our faith. If you've ever been to another faith tradition, whether it be Jewish or Muslim, many, what many people find as they go in is not only are their assumptions incorrect, but they find the people at these different faith traditions to be very welcoming. And as I led a class several weeks ago, one of the people even said, I just was in awe of how devoted they were to their faith. Some of them praying up to five times a day. Some of them going through rituals that last weeks and months consistently over and over again. Now, we're not meant to compare, but if we were to compare our own faith and where we go to have that devotion to our God, where would it be? Would we be like Mary and Joseph who come back to our temple and our refuge to show our devotion to God. 
Simeon tells Mary and Joseph in the blessing or in that warning in that second part that there is a reason that they must stay devoted. Listen to it again. It says, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be opposed. Mary and Joseph will have to stay devoted because there are many things ahead of them. Of all of the things that they've already gone through, there is still much ahead of them that is going to cause great strife, great struggle, and great pain in their life. And what Simeon is saying to these very young parents is that, but if you have the devotion and the faith to your God, you will not be alone. You see, one of the things that devotion does for us and for our faith is that it guards our hearts. Devotion guards our hearts, not in a militant way, but in a way that helps us walk through storms of life in a different way. Devotion guards our hearts and protects us. It helps us to say the words that we sang a few minutes ago in that song, God with us, our deliverer, our savior. In your presence, we find our strength. Over everything, our redeemer, God is with us. That sort of devotion reminds us and guards us against not the pain of life, but the way we walk through that type of pain in our life. I found this um, as, a, as an, a young parent early in our parenting. You do all of the things that I'm sure Mary and Joseph did as they were preparing for their child, but then there are just some things that come naturally, instinctually. There are certain things that you do for your children that nobody has to tell you to do. You just do it because it's an instinct in you. A couple of weeks ago, James and I were crossing the parking lot, and I didn't have a hold of James's hand, and he was jumping and running pretty quick, and a car came flying by. And without hesitation, without even thinking about it, I screamed his name, grabbed his hand, and jumped about 10 steps in front of me. Now, many of you will say that that is the supernatural ability of being a mom. You just do it. There was nothing in my head that said, oh, should I jump in front of this car or not? Should, should I do this or not? No, it was an instinct. I don't know many other things in our lives that are that instinctual to us, like protecting our children or guarding our children. But what I want for my faith life, what I want for my walk with God, maybe in this next year, is for my instinct to be to follow Jesus. In every movement of every day, I want my natural instinct to be to follow God, to listen for God. We know because we're human and we're broken and because of sin in our life that that does not come as naturally as we want but it may be the, also the very important reason why devotion to our faith is so incredibly important. It provides, devotion provides instinct for us. It becomes second nature for us to begin to follow Jesus. It becomes second nature for us to begin to imitate Christ in the way that we desire. Simeon and Anna knew how to do this through instinct. 
They had been following Christ for so many years. They were so devout in their faith. They trusted God so deeply that it did not occur to them whether to hesitate or not when they saw this child. It was important to them. They knew that not only God was with them, but God had been faithful to them when they met Jesus. And we listen to what Anna says, because as Simeon talks to the parents, giving them a blessing and a warning, it says that at that moment, Anna came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna not only spoke to the parents, she spoke about Jesus. As if to say it was not just her devotion that led her to that place, but it was more than devotion. It was about going and telling. It was a declaration. Her devotion led her to declaration. She spoke about the child Jesus to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here's what she said, if I can find it. Wait a minute. Ah, yeah, right here in verse 36. It says she never left the temple, but she worshiped there with fasting and praying night and day. And at that moment she came and became, began to praise God and to speak about the child. As she spoke about Jesus, the things that she said about Jesus, praising God. I get this image of Simeon and Anna as grandparents. Grandparents meeting their grandchild for the first time. Some of you may be grandparents in this room and you know that that, that particular title means something just a little bit different. One of my favorite parts of Christmas is not only um, seeing my child and the magic of Christmas, but also getting to share it with my parents and Kyle's parents because watching them be grandparents is also an incredibly special gift. Um, just one quick story that has nothing to do with this. Um, one present that my uh, son opened on uh, Christmas day was from uh, my dad. And uh, as he opened it, if you know my son, he loves to sing and he's very lively and active. Uh, he opened this present that was massive. And I looked at it and I looked at uh, my mom and uh, she said, he was sent out to go get a kid microphone, like just the one that echoes in and of itself. He had come back with a karaoke machine for a three-year-old, <laughs> which James loved. And I very lovingly smiled and looked at him and said to my dad and said, this will be staying here. <laughs> but there is something that is so joyful about being a grandparent, about being the one that gets to declare and witness to the life of a child. And can you imagine what that would be like if that child was Jesus? to be able to declare not only to the parents, but to everyone that you were around to witness that salvation had come, that God's word remained consistent. I hope and pray that maybe in this new year that the go and tell of the post-Christmas story, the second part of the story in this gospel of Luke, leads you to devotion 
that maybe something in Christmas happened in your life that was so important that you couldn't help but share it with someone around you. Not really knowing what the outcome or the byproduct might be, but just knowing that God's devotion calls us to go and tell. To tell people about what we have seen and heard, what we have experienced, how our faith has shaped us and changed us. This is what we do with New Year's resolutions, right? Every year, some of us come to this time and we begin to make goals or resolutions and we begin to talk about the things that need to be different in our life so that we can hopefully be more devoted to our faith. My, um, my father-in-law decided to do something a little bit different this year that he shared with us as his family. Instead of uh, coming up with a list of resolutions or goals this year, he decided to pick one word. And I wanna share with you, uh, my father is someone who I did not meet until he was retiring. He's a former engineer, um, somebody who is an incredibly hard worker. Now, if I were to tell you, my father-in-law is retired, but the only reason I know that is because he plays golf very consistently. And so I would say that he works very hard at his golf game now, but he is still somebody who works very, very hard. He is not an owner of a house. He is the project manager of the house. Uh, he is somebody that has a to-do list and works off of that to-do list over and over. And so it's not surprising to me that he had a very analytical way about going about picking his one word. So he sent it to us as the family and told us that uh, you begin to think about the words that you want to describe who you are. And you just begin free flow writing those words. But then you narrow it down to one word and you begin to pray about it and reflect on it and see if that will be the word that you could keep in front of you over the next year. And it comes from um, a book uh, called My One Word, uh, Change, uh, My One Word, uh, Change Your Life with Just One Word. And it's from Rachel Olson. She said, a word can't be broken. It serves as a reminder, a filter. It's who you want to be instead of what you regret. So after he sent us to that, let's see, he sent that to us um, earlier this week. And then yesterday he sent us his word. And this is what he said. As we are closing in on the start of 2024, I wanted to share my one word resolution. After much thought and prayerful consideration, I have picked the short and powerful three letter word, joy. You all know that I am driven to get things done and checking things off my list is something I like doing. However, as I have reflected over 2023, I feel that I have been too focused on getting the next thing done. While doing stuff is not bad, I believe I am missing some important opportunities to experience joy in the process and to not let this list overshadow everything else. So in 2024, I want to view things more through the lens of joy and be able to both better enjoy the moment and two, maybe even more significant, make sure I'm spending time on the important things and not just focused on the completing the list. I look forward to this next year and would ask that you help me keep accountable to this. If anyone wants to join me on this one word journey, feel free to jump in, certainly no pressure. I love you all and feel so blessed with an incredible family who loves Christ, loves each other, and who is looking forward to enjoying 2024. My father-in-law is an incredible man.
I want you to see what he did there, though. He not only decided to commit to something, he decided to share it with us. Now, that may seem really simple, but during a week where there could be a lot to do or a lot of naps to be had, he decided to take this time of reflection and do a little bit of both. To reflect, to pray, to come up with a word that would help him be devoted to Christ and to his faith and to his family. But not stop there. Instead, to go one step further and share it with us. Share it with his family. I wonder sometimes if we get caught up in sharing all of the good news, the good things in our lives. All of our Christmas cards can tend to be a little bit like that. And our New Year's resolutions can be a little bit like that too. Where we want to reach for the sky and we want to make sure that everybody thinks that we have accomplished the best thing. Or that we are doing the greatest thing in 2024. But I wonder if our devotion today can simply tell us how to maybe look to where God is calling us, where the Holy Spirit is leading us, where Jesus is guiding us. I don't know if it's one word for you or a one word resolution this year. I don't know who you need to tell about how God has changed your life. But what I do know is that the work of Christmas is not over. And as we go throughout this next week and as we enter this new year, my prayer is that with devotion and declaration, we be witnesses to Jesus in our life. Howard Thurman wrote these words many, many years ago, but they have always stuck with me. That post-Christmas poem. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among others, to make music in the heart. That's when the work of Christmas begins. Amen.